Today I'm going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to start out with a, a bit of a video. Uh, and I'm doing this for two reasons. First of all, to anyone who has served our country as a veteran, uh, I'm doing it to commemorate uh, your service and to honor you and to say thank you. Uh, it's a little bit brief uh, snippet from Saving Private Ryan. And in it you'll see, you'll hear the words of George C. Marshall, the Chief of Staff, as he gives an appreciative word for all that they have done for us. Uh, the second thing is I want to segue and use that as my sermon. And so keep this in your mind. Earn it or earn this. We'll work for salvation as we watch this clip. Citizens of a grateful nation, I'm wishing you good health and many years of happiness with James at your side. Nothing, not even the safe return of a beloved son, can compensate you or the thousands of other American families who have suffered great loss in this tragic war. But I might share with you some words which have sustained me through long, dark nights of peril, loss, and heartache. And I quote, I pray that our Heavenly Father may assuage the anguish of your bereavement and leave you only the cherished memory of the loved and lost and the solemn pride that must be yours to have laid so costly a sacrifice upon the altar of freedom. Abraham Lincoln, yours very sincerely and respectfully, George C. Marshall, General Chief of Staff. with you, I, I wasn't sure how I'd feel coming back here. Every day, I think about what you said to me that day on the bridge. I've tried to live my life the best I could. I hope that was enough. I hope that at least in your eyes, I've earned what all of you have done for me. James. Captain John H. Miller.
Okay, now, thank you from a grateful nation for all veterans today. Now, here's the segue. Did you notice what happened in that little clip? You have Saving Private Ryan, the movie. You've got Captain Miller, who was part of a rescue team that went to save Private Ryan. And this rescue team suffered great loss trying to save this one man. And with great shedding of blood and great loss, Captain Miller himself gives his life for the purpose of saving Private Ryan. And remember those words before he died, though. He looked at Private Ryan and, and said, consider all this blood loss for you. Earn this. Earn this moment. Earn it. Live a good life. Live the rest of your life in response to what we have done for you. And remember, Private Ryan says at the end, he says, every day I wake up with those words in my mind. Earn this. Then it goes forward to James Ryan as an old man. And he is there before Pri uh, Captain Miller's grave. And he said, just, I, I just want to need, need to know that I was a good man, that I did well. And so he turns to his wife and he says, honey, tell me I have earned what he did for me. And she lies to him. She says, you are a good man. You are a good man. And you have led a good life. You see, sadly enough, that is our picture of earning salvation before God. Many of us will reach the end of our lives and we'll think one of these thoughts. We'll think, have I done more good than evil in this world? Have I done enough to warrant God's salvation? Have I been to church enough? Have I read enough scriptures? Have I prayed enough rosaries? Did I earn this before God? So many of us have that, that private Ryan syndrome. Well, the bottom line is we all know that none of us has earned a place in heaven, right? Of course not. Somerset Maugham, the... Uh, the wonderful playwright, the British author, once said this about himself. He said, if I wrote down every thought I ever thought or every deed I've ever done, then people would call me a monster of depravity. Are you okay with that? Do you realize that's who we are? Do you realize that none of us can earn it? In Psalm 51, David said this. He said, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. I know my iniquity. I was born and conceived in iniquity. Psalm 51. Man, I've been a sinner since I was born, he says. Romans 3.23. Paul makes it clear. For all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus says, no one is good but God alone. So my friends, if you are out to earn your salvation this morning, give it up. None is good but God alone. So in order for us to be saved, to go to heaven, to be in the presence of God, somehow, somewhere, someone has to make atonement for us. And that's what the temple was about in the Old, in the, uh, Old Testament and here in the New Testament today as we read about the temple practices in Hebrews. So I want to turn with you, if, if you will, in the, your Bibles to uh, Hebrews chapter 9. We're going to talk a little bit about temple worship and that concept of atonement, of making us at one with God again. Because the temple is really a picture of heaven, and we get that picture in chapter 9. See, this is what the temple looked like. And uh, if you look on, on the, in this temple, you had an outer court where people worshipped, 
anybody could come and worship from all across the world, any Jewish person. And then if you went through the outer court into this inner place, it was called the, the holy place. And then beyond that, there was a curtain, a big thick curtain, some say as many as four feet thick, but it was absolutely walling off this place, which was called the most holy place, or the holy of holies. So look at chapter 9, verse 2, and see what it says. Three places of increasing purity and holiness, okay? The first place was this. It says, For there was a tent prepared in the first section, and that was where the lampstand and the table of the bread of presence was, and that was called the holy place. Okay, so you went from one place in the temple where prayer and worship went on, you went to a holy place, the second place, and then following that, look at Hebrews chapter 9, verse 3. There's still a more holy place. Behind the second curtain, that's the big thick curtain, was a second section called the most holy place, having a golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna, and Aaron's staff that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat. So hear that again. The writer of Hebrews is saying that this is the holiest place on the earth, the holy of holies. This is where heaven and earth intersect. This is where God's presence is. Remember the Ark of the Covenant? Of course, I'm, that's not the Ark of the Covenant. That's the Raiders of the Lost Ark. The Ark of the Covenant was this. So that's the Ark of the Covenant. And he describes in that Ark would be Ten Commandments, the laws, the regulations that we have to live by before God. Of course, on the top of that were two angels, cherubim. And they protected the mercy seat of God. And in between them... Above the mercy seat was the Shekinah glory of the living God. You see that holiness on top. And so the idea was that we in heaven will need to go into the full presence of God. And so atonement has to be made in order for anybody to enter into the holy of holies. And the writer says this. He said that one temple priest would do that on what's called the day of atonement. And in chapter 9, verse 6, it says this. All the preparations by this priest having been made, the priests regularly go into the first section, performing their ritual duties. But into the second section, the holiest place, only the high priest goes, and only once a year. And not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the sins of the people. This is what is called Yom Kippur. This is the Day of Atonement. This is when the people would sprinkle, or the priest would sprinkle on behalf of the people the blood of the sacrifices on the mercy seat of God, hoping that God would forgive them of their sins and restore a right relationship with them. Atonement was made for them. Remember the word, atonement. At one meant atonement. So the idea was how do we get into the God's gracious presence and the priests thought they could do that through offering sacrifices. The problem is, we know that none of those sacrifices were fully uh, atoning. They did not offer an effective sacrifice for sin. They offered those sins, they offered the sacrifices for atonement, 
but they were incomplete. And it says in Hebrews 10, And every priest stands daily at the service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. Never take away sin. So the picture is this. Remember, the temple is like heaven. The temple's heaven because that's where the presence and the glory of God dwelt in the holiest of places on the earth, in the holy of holies. Our goal in life is to get with God, to get right with God. So we need to get into the presence of the Most High God to live together with God for eternity. Now the problem is we're sinners. We can't earn our place back into the presence of God. And the other part is that even the sacrifices done on the Day of Atonement did not allow the people to get right with God. So we got a problem. The sacrifices weren't working. Now here's where Jesus comes in. All of these sacrifices were pointing to the one ultimate sacrifice that Christ would make on Calvary on the Day of Atonement called Good Friday. All of these pointed to Jesus. Now, I'm going to give you an example of what we're talking about. You may ask, well, why did God allow all these sacrifices for all this time if God knew that they were ultimately not effective, but only Jesus would be effective? Well, here's the deal. <clears throat> Think of it like this. Now, when I was a child, people would give you a, a gun. You know, don't get politically correct with me. It was okay. You get a cap gun for Christmas, right? And your parents weren't sending you off to war. They were giving you a cap gun so you could go out in the backyard and play with your friends and learn how to be brave and strong and courageous, right? But they also knew that when you grew up, you might have to bear a real weapon in real war, and it would really be important for you to be brave and strong and courageous. Or a young girl might get a little baby doll at Christmas. And, of course, that doesn't mean they were pregnant. That simply meant that your mom was giving you a baby doll so you could learn how to be loving and kind and nurturing. Because one day you may grow up and have, your ba have a real baby. And it will be important for you to be loving and kind and nurturing when that time comes. In both these instances, what we see is playthings given to a child so that one day they might be able to handle the real thing. You see that? Play things so that one day they might be able to handle the real thing. In chapter 10 of Hebrews, it says that Jesus was the real thing. All those other sacrifices, it says, verse 1, were shadows of the real one, of the good things that were to come. They were all shadows of Jesus. Shadow is not the real person. A shadow is the distant effect of the real person's presence. And so what we've got is the real Day of Atonement coming on Good Friday. And on Good Friday, Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb of God, had his blood sprinkled on the cross of Calvary. And outside the gates of Jerusalem on Calvary, that distance between the most holy God and sinful human beings was bridged by the cross so that now atonement has truly been made. And it says in the Bible on that day of atonement that the veil of the temple was torn in two so that the holiest place on earth where God himself dwells, we through the blood of the Son were given direct access to the heart of the Father. Here's what it says, Hebrews 10 verse 12. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, 
He sat down at the right hand of God. He became the high priest, offering his own blood on our behalf at the right hand of God. Waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he was, has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Listen to the tense in that verse 14. He has perfected all who are being sanctified in the faith. Has perfected. That means if you're a believer today, you have been justified before the Father. He has perfected you in such a way that he has made atonement for you. You can go right into the presence of the holy God without being destroyed. Remember in Exodus 33? That's what happened way back then. Moses asked God, God, I want to see your face. And God said, Moses, my ineffable beauty and my holiness would destroy you. And Moses said, no, I've got to see your face. And what does God do? God puts him in the cleft of the rock and shields his eyes so that he can see a little piece of his Shekinah glory because if he saw too much, he'd be destroyed. Jesus' sacrifice means that we can go straight to the Father and not be destroyed. God said, I accept your sacrifice. 1 Peter 3.18 says, Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Do you believe that? Do you believe that in your heart of hearts, in your soul this morning, that you don't have to earn it and you cannot earn it, that Jesus has done it for you? Because that's where true Christian peace comes from, my friends. So much so that when you die, or when your loved ones die, or when someone asks you, are you saved, you don't have to be sheepish about it. You can with great confidence say yes, not because of what I've done, but because of what he did. If someone asks you, are you saved, you don't have to say, well, I'm not sure, or only God knows that. He has made you perfect. You are already perfected, he says. Therefore, on what basis do you get to go to the Holy of Holies into heaven? On this basis, on Christ alone. And you can have confidence. In chapter 10, verse 19, it says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, therefore, verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart of full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean. And, verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. You see, whatever you've done in your life that has made you feel vile or ugly or unworthy of heaven, Christ has atoned for it. If someone has done something to you in your life that makes you feel vile or ugly, or unworthy of God's presence, Jesus atoned for it. He has made the sacrifice. He's made you worthy of heaven. In chapter 10, verse 17 today, we hear this promise. Take it on for yourself. I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Full atonement has been made. He has sprinkled your heart clean by his own blood. He is your great high priest. So I know that I'm going to be in heaven one day. Not because of what I've done, but because of what he did for me. He stands in the gap for you as well. 
And you can say with great confidence that because of Jesus, the great high priest, you'll have a place in heaven with God. In fact, when I get to heaven, I'm not going to just walk through the pearly gates. I'm going to strut through the pearly gates. I'm going to strut right into heaven, my friends, because I'm going to have that kind of confidence that my sins have been forgiven. And I'm going to demand entrance into the throne room of God, to the holiest place on the earth, the holy of holies. And Jesus is going to meet me at the gate, and he's going to take my hand, and he's going to be my high priest, and he's going to lead me right into the holy of holies. And he's going to present me before the Father, and he's going to say, Father, I'd like to introduce to you Trip Jeffords, the perfect one. And I hope my wife is there to hear those words. <laughs> because she's going to say, now hold on a second. I know he's a priest, but he is not a perfect one. Let me tell you about that one time. And Jesus is going to interrupt her and say, honey, honey, Leslie, I will remember his sins and his lawless deeds no more. That was my promise, 1017 of Hebrews says. She's going to say, but what about that time when? And Jesus is going to interrupt her and say, for I through a single sacrifice, have perfected Trip Jeffords for all time. In chapter 10, verse 40, 14. It's that kind of confidence you get. It's that kind of confidence when you know you don't have to earn it, and there's no way to earn it. That it's not what you do that matters, it's what Christ has done that matters. It's not your meritorious works that will get you to the Holy of Holies, it's Christ's unmerited grace poured out for you in blood on the cross of Christ and so his blood sprinkles your hearts clean and you don't have to work or worry about it it's already been done for you so when someone asks are you saved don't say well I hope so or I hope my good works outweigh my bad or perhaps I have earned a place in heaven with God say yes I'm confident through the blood of Jesus let us pray Heavenly Father, we 